This episode of New Politics was released on the 22nd of January, 2022, and produced on the land of the Wangal people. Welcome to New Politics. I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis. We're actually still on holidays, although it's hard to call it a holiday when there's 30,000 new coronavirus cases each and every day in New South Wales. The economy is tanking, businesses are closing and tennis players are being thrown out of the country. But we will persevere and we'll be back to our full episodes in a fortnight. But in the meantime, we've got our series focusing on independent candidates all around Australia. And this week, we caught up with Joe Dyer, the independent candidate in the South Australian seat of Boothby. Joe Dyer, welcome to New Politics and thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Now, you're the Voices Of independent candidate in the seat of Boothby, and that's a part of the Voices Of alliance that has candidates primarily in New South Wales and Victoria. I didn't realise that it had a presence in South Australia. So how has all of this come about and why have you decided to run in the seat of Boothby? Voices Of, it's been kind of extraordinary, the growth of these community-based organisations around the country. Voices of Boothby has actually been going for a couple of years and had been quietly working away, holding kitchen table conversations, reaching out to members of the community and community-based organisations to talk about the type of political representation that we've been experiencing over the past few years. At the same time, I've been here running um, Adelaide Writers Week, presenting kind of my ideas to the people of Adelaide through that forum and through that platform, curating from, you know, the very best authors from here in Australia uh, and around the world. And increasingly, I've been frustrated, disappointed and dismayed with the type of leadership that's been on offer, particularly at a federal level. I've always been very politically engaged, uh, but I haven't been involved in any way with any kind of electoral politics for many, many years, um, over two decades now, when I kind of left the Labor Party disillusioned. But it did seem that in this particular moment, in this particular election cycle, there were people who were being prepared to step forward and say, you know what, this really isn't good enough in the vast population of our fine nation, the people currently in Canberra, the very best that are on offer. And the answer to that really was a resounding no. A couple of people approached me as the movement was really gathering momentum and asked me if if I'd think about possibly putting my hand up as well. Um, Again, it was something that came out of left field for me. It was not a direction in which I was intending to go any time in the future. But It did strike me that if you really are that unhappy with the level of representation and the type of leadership that's on offer, 
um, and you feel that perhaps you can contribute something in that field, then now is the time actually to step up and to put some real skin in the game and not just sit and snipe on Twitter as uh, it's a very enjoyable pastime, I have to say, but to actually think about being part of a movement and being part of the change that you would like to see. Um, so after having had some conversations with more personal and sort of small p political contacts about the idea uh, the Voices of National Movement put me in touch with the Voices of Boothby organisation and then we had a number of conversations and presentations and discussions with both the committee and the broader membership. And at the end of all of that, we well, both parties agreed that actually being for me being a candidate and for the Voices of Boothby having a candidate and endorsing a candidate was something that we were prepared to take on for the next election and after that it all did happen quite quickly and we made a decision that even though we perhaps weren't ready in the broadest of senses we would make an announcement prior to Christmas so that people could uh, spend Christmas in the new year thinking or those people who wanted to spend Christmas in the new year thinking about the uh, coming election that Boothby and, and I would be part of that conversation and then we've subsequently spent some of this holiday break getting our act together really and plotting out what the next what I believe is going to be four months before the next election will be held and and how we can best make an impact on the campaign and how we can best get our message out to the greatest number of people in Boothby about what we want to do and what we're trying to achieve. Election campaigns are based on a wide range of issues that are relevant to the electorate, but what are some of the issues that you'll be focusing on during the campaign? Well, look, I think like many of the other independent candidates that have put their names forward, there are three key issues and they've all to some extent for me come about from quite personal experience um, over the last 18 months as well as being part of a broader concerned citizenry. I think they are interconnected as well or some of them. So the big issue really facing all of us here on this planet is climate and climate warming and the fact that really neither of the major parties are dealing with this issue with the urgency that I think it requires has been a really fundamental reason for trying to disrupt the system, which, you know, Scott Ludlam talks in his book, Full Circle, about this idea of state capture. There's been a few of these sorts of terms which have now become part of our lexicon, which perhaps hadn't been before, like weaponise or monetise or the optics of things. But this idea of state capture where leadership of countries and economies have really become subservient to smaller vested interests to sectional groups. And I think that the way that Australia deals with the fossil fuel industry is a really good example of that, that our policy is not being created and developed with the broader interest of the public in mind. And sometimes it's actually being created, developed and written by the fossil fuel industry itself, um, particularly under the Morrison government. Vast amounts of money of our taxpayers' money being used to subsidise an industry that everybody actually agrees um, should be being phased out. It just is insanity to me. It's like a, a collective madness that has descended upon us and our planet where we're not doing the very obvious things that we need to do, that we have the capacity to do, that everybody agrees that we should do, uh, and instead 
we're ignoring them and continuing with this business as usual approach. And quite literally, the Morrison government has said that we don't need to change our approach at all because we're going to be saved by the science and the technology to get to net zero by 2050, even though actually their policy doesn't get us to net zero by 2050, even with all of this magical thinking embedded within it. So I find it just extraordinary that we have been so derelict in our responsibility to each other, to the planet, to the future, to our children um, in the way that we've approached this particular policy issue and it would have to be the number one motivation. But I think it feeds then very directly and really in a very connected way to the other issue which is around integrity in politics. I think it is the lack of integrity in politics and the way that our politicians and our leaders uh, are captive to sectional interests and who refuse to be accountable to the broader population. It is That is another key reason why I've decided to step forward. I can't recall a time when we have been so ill-served by our leaders and so blatantly dismissed and not prioritised as we move through, you know, crisis after crisis. And we can see it again right now um, with the way that the government is handling the issue around rapid antigen tests. Now, it's just inexplicable to me that they're not being made freely available just as the tests previously were and the PCR tests were. It's a major health issue. It's a major health crisis. And yet somehow the government has yet again been found wanting. Why? Why is it that they cannot serve the people that they've been elected to serve? Why is it that they think that they can use taxpayer funds for their own party political purposes uh, or they can waste them um, by poor policy formulation or refusal to back down when, or in the face of protests from corporate Australia? Why is all of those ways of spending, wasting, misusing public, misusing public money fine, but when it comes to actually appropriately making available resources for the broader population, that's somehow a bridge too far. This refusal to develop policy in the public good and then a refusal to be held accountable for the decisions that are being made, even as those decisions are being investigated by independent bodies like the National Audit Office and being found wanting. Uh, and I just think it, it really is quite a thing that we have a, a Prime Minister who will lie about things that he said and done, will hide when decisions are being criticised and will try and blame anybody else but himself or ascribe responsibility to anybody else but himself, um, even as he asserts sort of proudly, if a little obsessively, that he is the Prime Minister. So that failure, um, that really fundamental failure of ethical behaviour, of morality and integrity, I just think is, you know, we've heard it from so many of the independents, but it's a very core reason, again, why I'm standing. And that has also been something that I've, you know, directly experienced when dealing with issues around women's safety and women's voices and equity for women as well. And the lack of integrity and accountability flowed through in so many of the decisions of the Morrison government over the course of 2021, who they chose to listen to, who they chose to protect, who they chose to support, who they chose to ignore, who they chose to undermine. All of these things just really were not just enraging and infuriating, but actually ultimately galvanising. So there, as with so many of the other independents, the three core reasons, but they do, from that flows 
so many other issues about the way that our country is being run and the priorities of our country. And I think that there's a lot of change that could be made by a strong independent crossbench, regardless of who is in power. It is about holding the major parties to account. And frankly, I think um, that for the Labor Party in particular, if they had an independent crossbench trying to hold them to account, they would, <laughs> you know, they could use it as a shield to do many of the things that they feel they haven't been able to do because of the government's propensity to wedge. And I'm thinking about issues, you know, again, very moral issues like around the treatment of refugees. So Boothby uses see that's been held by the Liberal Party since 1949. So that's 73 years or whatever it is, but over the past four or five elections, there's been a combination of redistributions and demographic change, and now it's become a marginal seat. In fact, it's the most marginal seat in South Australia. In two-party preferred terms, it's held by the Liberal Party by only 1.3%, so it's a close seat. But there's also some other factors that are coming into play as well. It's a seat that won't actually have an incumbent at the next election. The current Liberal Party MP, Nicole Flint, she's not contesting at the next election. The Liberal Party have pre-selected Rachel Swift and the Labor Party have pre-selected Louise Miller-Frost. And on paper, they look like tough candidates to defeat. So what are the kinds of things that you can do as an independent to win the seat? It's not impossible, but it is really difficult for independent candidates to win federal seats. Look, it absolutely is. And nobody is in any way... uh kidding themselves that this will be anything but a very tall mountain to climb. I do think that there's a couple of things about why I think it's a good idea to support an independent. There's a couple of things why I think it's a good idea to support me. And then broadly speaking, I think even if we don't get there this time, um, having an impact on the campaign and the sorts of issues that are being discussed through it, I think is a very healthy and productive thing in any event. Look, The major parties, they just seem to be kind of stultified in the way that they're practising politics. We've seen the the really unattractive side of our political system with some of the investigations that have been going on in Victoria um, into branch stacking and here in South Australia with the kind of the equivalent of the Hillsong Church and the Pentecostals trying to move into the Liberal Party. Um, You know, both sides are, are grappling with these issues. It does tend to attract a certain type of person who's interested in power and the exercise of power and things kind of get bogged down in that. Um, You're not seeing best practice in terms of policy development. Um, You're not starting from a kind of a blank slate of what would be best for the country and what would be best for the future. Um, I think independents have shown that they can make a difference in terms of what's happened in even within Australia over the last sort of decade. You know, the Gillard minority government working with people like Tony Windsor and Rob Oakeshott and Andrew Wilkie and and others, it was one of the most productive parliaments in the last sort of post-war period. I think that when independents are are only interested in what is best for their electorate and what is best for the country, they come with, you know, high hopes and and good spirits and a real sense of purpose. Um, And we have seen that actually they do achieve things. And even just over the last week, finally, the seat of Indi got their transport infrastructure upgrade um, through the train system after persistent lobbying and in the end, governments wanting to think that they can win back the seat. 
I think that the candidates that we have here in the seat of Boothby are all really terrific candidates, both Rachel and Louise, but in the end they are bound by the parties that they are representing. Um, and the Liberal Party has just manifestly failed at every level and is now seeking to you know, eagerly and dishonestly rewrite history about what they've done on things like renewable energy targets, for example. And however strong Rachel may be, when she gets to Canberra, she will have to vote for the government's position. And the policies that have been announced, particularly around a National Integrity Commission and particularly around the targets for uh, emissions reductions, are simply ridiculous. They're a joke. They won't achieve even what they say they're going to achieve. And that is is in and of itself pretty unambitious targets. Um, so, you know, you have to really look at the suite of policies that are on offer from each of the major parties and decide if they are right for you before deciding whether or not you want to put uh, a one next to Rachel or um, Louise's names. And frankly, <laughs> it would be a terrible thing for our country if particularly I think the Morrison government was re-elected. So, you know, it's both about what the nature of parliament could look like if we start to break down a two-party political system, if we start to have a broader proliferation of voices in parliament, if we start to have a greater diversity of views represented, what could that mean for the type of parliament, for the type of politics that we have as independents? And I think it would be very healthy and revive our democracy. And then secondly, as I say, I think very specifically on the type of policy positions that are being taken by both major parties is that too can be significantly improved upon by having people who come to it with clean hands and a hopeful heart. And that's what the independents are all about. So I think for both of those reasons, an independent in Boothby uh, and indeed elsewhere would be a very fine thing. Um, and then thirdly, as I say, yes, a very big ask, not only because of um, the kind of ossification of our system um, and the way that it's kind of coagulated around the two parties, the two major parties, and how difficult it is to disrupt that and how difficult it is to persuade people to imagine something differently, but even to reach people with, you know, the resources that we have. Um, it's going to be tough and we're going to do everything that we can. We're going to work very, very hard. We're going to be out there trying to energise people through people power because, of course, we don't have the level of financial resources that the major parties has, but we'll do all that we can. Um, um, and it'll be interesting to see where we end up on election night. It'll be great if we're successful. But if not, if we've made an impact on the campaign, um, you know, maybe we can get there in our second try. You never know. We just don't know. It's going to be a very interesting time between now and the election. You're listening to New Politics. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, listen through SoundCloud, Spotify and Amazon Audible, or find us at newpolitics.com.au. And you can now follow us at Patreon.
Now, you've mentioned that you've had a strong interest in politics and, well, I guess public policy for some time, but quite often in politics, the behaviour of your opponents allows you to predict what they're really worried about. And, and these two are not really your direct opponents, but the Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, and the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, they've both come out to attack independent candidates and the Voices of Movement, claiming that they're not really independent, they're just a front for the Labor Party, and a vote for an independent, in reality, is a vote for the Labor Party. Now, you did mention this before, but you did have an involvement with the Labor Party going back a long, long time ago, and you did yeah. seek pre-selection for the Labor Party all yeah. the way back in... 1999 and I guess this process shows that some people in politics do have very very long memories but <laughs> is the vote for you actually a vote for the Labor Party and do you think that this perception will affect other people's perceptions of you as a genuine independent candidate? Look I know firstly no not at all if I wanted to be a Labor Party member or representative I'd have stayed involved in the Labor Party and I'd have sought pre-selection from the Labor Party part of the the issue that we have here is a the system itself um but b the policy position of the Labor Party in a huge range of areas I find perhaps not as disappointing as some of the positions of the, the Morrison government, but equally unacceptable. And, you know, it was some of their policy positions that led me to leave the party in the first place, and particularly around some key moral issues, such as the treatment of, of refugees. I think that Morrison and Frydenberg are, are trying to paint independence as somehow stooges, just shows how worried they are that there really is a third and viable option being presented to people who perhaps aren't interested in voting for the Greens or some of the parties who are sort of further to the left or the right, but who are interested in centrist, competent, ethical government and management of our economy and our country and boosting and inspiration um, and reviving our kind of our culture and our society and our engagement with each other. The idea that anybody who opposes what the Morrison government is doing therefore must be a left-wing stooge is ridiculous. There are lots of people who are saying this is not the way we want to be represented either at a domestic level and or on the world stage. Our reputation is being trashed by this government with their the dishonest way that they go about the business of politics, the way that they're engaging with, you know, <laughs> the family of nations. I mean, we saw everything that happened in, in Glasgow. We saw the cavalier way that the Morrison government was prepared to treat one of our key allies, France, in order to have his sort of moment, um, his Zoom press conference the next day. He could send a text message at minutes to midnight. It's just, it's incompetent, it's unethical, and frankly, it's embarrassing. And the idea that anybody who stands up and opposes this and says, you know what, we can do much, much better than this, is therefore ipso facto a Labor Party stooge is completely ridiculous. I think there are lots of people out there that understand that the independence, we're not doing this for fun. Like, frankly, it would have been much better for me just to have a nice Christmas break with my family rather than have to be spending every minute sitting and preparing and thinking and strategizing about the months ahead. We're doing this because we do feel that there's a sense of urgency and that there's a need that needs to be met. Now, my personal background from 20 years ago, yes, was with the Labor Party. I mean, are they saying, therefore, that Pauline Hanson remains a stooge, that Clive Palmer remains a stooge for the Liberals, that Craig Kelly is still a stooge for the Liberals? I mean, 
people move on, they change their political positions and they change the way that they think about how they can engage with the political process. And that's what I think really all of these um, independent candidates who have put themselves forward have done. I mean, you've only got to look at the type of people in the, particularly in New South Wales, I mean, Allegra Spender, really? Like she's a stooge for the Labor Party. I mean, she is like, you couldn't be kind of more blue chip liberal in lots of ways. But she is saying, as we are all saying, what's on offer by this government is not good enough. That doesn't make us in any way a stooge for anyone. It makes us sensible and it proves that we can see and hear what is going on around us. I think it's great that finally there is a different alternative for people who want to change the system, who want to see things done differently. And if people want to see things done differently, then they actually have to vote differently on election day. Now, everyone that runs for parliament, doesn't matter whether they're from the Liberal Party, the National Party, Labor Party, One Nation or an Independent, they bring along their history with them as well. Yes. So you've worked in the creative industries for some time. You've produced several feature films. You were the manager of Bangara Dance Company, then at the Sydney Theatre Company, CEO yeah. of the Sydney Writers' Festival and then the Adelaide Writers' Festival. We don't have too many people entering politics from the creative fields. And I can only think of Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil. He was a successful MP for the Labor Party. Yep. Then on the other side of politics, there's Richard Evans for the Liberal Party, but he became an author of political thrillers after he left politics in 1998. Now, I don't want to suggest that we've got too many boring people in politics, <laughs> but, but you'd think that a political system that can create room for people such as Craig Kelly or Pauline Hanson should also be able to create room for people from creative backgrounds. Why do you think we've got such a small amount of people from the creative fields entering federal parliament? Well, I do think it is the nature of the party political system. You know, I did, as you, as we've discussed, was involved with the Labor Party for quite some time as a much younger person and did get kind of up close and personal with just the systems within a political party of that kind of scale where power is, you know, is very much achievable and tangible and thus becomes a pursuit in and of itself. And I have to say it's not actually a very pretty sight. It's not an attractive process through which to put yourself. It's hard, it's tough, it's brutal. People play it in hard, tough, brutal ways and it isn't something which, you know, most sane people decide they want to engage for key parts of their life. And I think that speaks to the problem within the system itself. Like, there should be ways that people from all range of different backgrounds can enter Parliament so that people from a vast array of different backgrounds feel represented. And I do think that the creative industries and people with an artistic and creative bent um, have a lot to offer our system because it is trying, you know, I was, I'm around artists and writers passionately engaged creative people all the time and they spend each and every day of their life trying to work out what really is meaningful to us what really does make human beings human and make them tick and make them thrive and make them flourish what causes them despair what does that mean for us and each other and and the worlds and lives that we're seeking to create thinking about kind of fundamental issues to do with our humanity and how to protect cherish nourish 
all of those aspects of us. They consider our interior lives, the things that we hide from other people, the vast oceans that exist within us all, and these things that make us human and also connect us to each other and to the wider world. These are really, fundamentally, we all know at some level, the most important things of all, and yet they never are discussed or represented or in any way supported through the political system. And we've only got to see the way that our artists were ignored, cast aside, left to fend for themselves to a large degree throughout the COVID crisis to understand the way that we devalue artists, even as fundamentally they are exploring and promoting and delivering to us through their sacrifice the most valuable things of all. So why aren't these things more openly discussed and engaged with and grappled with on our political stages. It makes us a smaller nation. It diminishes us as a nation that we do not seem to be able to elevate our artists and elevate our interior lives and give them the significance that they deserve and that fundamentally we're all subject to anyway. So I say, you know, more artists in politics uh, and we will have this greater sense of creativity, of openness, of curiosity, of exploration, all of the things that make us strong um, and informed and engaged and inspired. These are things that we should have in our parliaments um, and sadly we don't. So if I can be, you know, a kind of a forerunner <laughs> in some way um, and get there and so the artists and others working in industries that have been marginalised can have a voice through me for a time being until they can fight their way into parliament too, then, you know, I'm all for that and think that we will be a stronger and more interesting country and parliament as a result of that. So there is that thread of issues that you referred to before that seem to be linking many of the independent candidates, if not all of them, and they're the issues that you referred to before, climate change, corruption in politics, women's safety, and there's other related issues, truth in politics, pork barrelling, then there's the ongoing management or mismanagement of the pandemic, depending on which way you want to have a look at it. Now, a lot of politics is a slog. It's cynical. It's about managing competing interests and doing untidy deals with people that you might not have an interest in or their particular agenda. What could you do differently once you do get into politics? And, and of course, change can't happen overnight, but that process of reforming politics and taking it to a place that might be much better than what we've got at the moment how do we get to that place? Well, look, I think fundamentally, if you elect people whose really only interests are representing the electorate who has delivered them into parliament and with whom they have had a, an ongoing or whom they are engaged in an ongoing conversation about what is best for the country, then you strip away all of the vested interests. Your starting position is evidence-based policy that will serve the greater good. And that in and of itself will be a radical thing. Now, look, I'm not naive about what politics is really like and the vested interests which are there and the pressures that will be brought to bear. But fundamentally, there is a liberation that can come with keeping things simple. What do you fundamentally believe will be best for the country in any particular areas? What do the experts say is a good way to go about achieving it? And then have those discussions with, yes, certainly the, the party which is in power and which is forging hopefully a minority government, but have those conversations more broadly with each other. 
an independent crossbench doesn't just open up that possibility, it mandates it. It requires the political parties to talk to us and through us we will be talking to our communities and to the wider national community with no other agenda. We don't come with the support of anybody but the citizens of this country. Um, however that's being marshalled and however that's been funded, it is not vested interests, it is not sectional interests, it is not corporate interests. You know, to me, it is an exciting moment in Australian politics where this is a possibility. We'll need to be sitting down around tables where we need to needing to negotiate kind of issue by issue, but it will be negotiating with a group of people who cannot be ignored because we will be needed to get legislation through and hopefully will be needed in order for one of the major parties to form government in the first place. It will be a true voice for those who really have been silenced and marginalised within our political system for too long. That's what this whole movement is about. And I do think, as I said right at the beginning, in this particular moment in time, there is a real possibility. It's sort of out there in the ether and we can seize it as long, as I say, if we want things to be done differently, we are prepared to, this time, to vote differently and to try something new. And that was Joe Dyer, the independent candidate in the seat of Boothby. And you can follow her campaign at voicesofboothby.com.au or at dyerforboothby.com. That's it for this new politics podcast. Thanks for listening in. If you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary, please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au. We don't beg, plead, beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end. We just keep it very, very simple. If you like what we do, please send some support our way. It helps keep our commitment to independent journalism ticking along. I'm Eddie Djokovic. Thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners. I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.